Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, PJ Alex, and we welcome you guys to another episode of the Virtual Dopeness Podcast. I am here joined by a special guest, a friend, a mentor, a guy I generally just look up to, and he's smiling right now because I, I don't, I don't, he, he's very humble oh, and <laughs> very much so the type of person that doesn't. You don't have to praise him a lot, but he just generally stands out. We have Dr. Italo Brown. What's happening? <laughs> Welcome, <coughs> sir. Um, it's it's weird. I don't think I've addressed you as Dr. Italo Brown. No, ever, man. That's, since we've known each other. <laughs> that's the funny part. Like, hearing it come out is uh, is interesting. And, but, yeah, man. I'm glad yeah. to be here. Good stuff. And so uh, we're going to do a couple different interesting things today. Cool, we're going to cool. talk a little bit about music because I know you and I have – Talked at great length and, and shared music and shared is, things yeah. back and forth. It's our arena. <laughs> you are one of two people that I hold in a special designation that introducing my favorite artist, which Gambino. is Childish Gambino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you started me down the path of being the ultimate Gambino stan. Um, I'm I'm just sad I don't run one of the 28 fan pages that he has. Uh, yeah. he, he has more than that because they just all right. once you follow one, like 20 follow you. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but you might be one of the few that actually are in Atlanta. So this is true. <laughs> this is very true because and and I've tried to get on the show. Yeah. But it's yeah. just hard. And they record at weird times, and then with my travel schedule, it's I just imagine. difficult to be. But, but then, then when I saw the yeah. preview of last season, it was at the end of my street, uh, like one of the, and I was like, "Damn, right, that was a chance." <laughs> was a chance. <laughs> I missed it, but uh, it's all good. So uh, we'll talk about some music. We're going to talk about a cool. lot of health today, cool. Uh, because one, people I, people know I'm a consultant. People mm-hmm. don't really know that I'm a health and data health health data consultant, right? And so I don't get to talk about it as much as I want to. And <laughs> all right, we got today for that. There you go. And uh, those who listened a couple episodes ago with my coworkers, those two guys are also in the health data field. Mm-hmm. And we talked to, we talked about a lot of stuff on that podcast, but it wasn't necessarily centered on health. Right. We have choppers flying over once again. At least my neighbors aren't playing. You know exactly where you at. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly where. And at, at least my neighbor's not playing guitar in the, in the background right, of this no, episode. No. That's he, fair. He's being quiet today. So let's hop off. Start start with our music train. Cool, um, we got a couple things just to recap some of the things that came out this week. Ed Sheeran just recently dropped. Mm-hmm. He um, has a very solid effort. Uh, in this past week, I've been listening to a lot of, especially since the last episode, a lot of yeah. the Dreamville album. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had, my hot take of the week is actually because of the Dreamville album. Okay, all right. Um, uh, who's the other young young sir? Uh, Jaden yeah. Smith. Jaden has. It's not Cyrus, the reverse of Cyrus, right? Yeah, it, I can't pronounce. I don't, it. can't pronounce. But he did give out a bunch of food to homeless, which I thought was incredible. That was super dope. He's been between that and he donated a second trunk uh, water, water truck in, in Flint. Flint. Yeah. So he's 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 definitely doing something. Um, Nas dropped a single from Lost Tapes too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which I have not have not listened to yet. I haven't either. Yeah, I mean, and because. It's the summer. Summer's right. coming fast and furious at you. But we also had the re-release of the Lion King soundtrack. That's with a the fact. New, uh, which ties us right on back in the game. <laughs> in the game, yeah. <laughs> which, did you get a chance to listen to um, Can You Feel Love Tonight? I did, yeah. What did you think? Because I have a thought. <laughs> All right. So I, I have to start off clearly by saying that my childhood was excellent. 
And <laughs> so was mine. As much as I prefer Beyonce and Childish Gambino as musicians and artists, Elton John and his little wiry voice <laughs> did something for me as a child that I don't know if this song can do for me as an adult. True. Um, I think the hard part is really putting in context like what this audience, the audience for this movie, is going to take from the entire experience as opposed to when we were children. I think they got so much more uh, to work with now. You can, yeah. like, Elton probably got up in there. He didn't have no other synthesizers, <laughs> no compression devices. No. And he, he just, just gave him. you that. It was yeah. him and his right. piano. It was him and his piano, and he was singing. It wasn't a duet. No. It was just him. But I appreciate the fact that, you know, once you throw Beyonce on a track, it, it basically is going to be a number one hit or it's yeah. going to be a billboard cho- uh, topper. With Gambino, I think that, you know, I love when he, he sings and he uses his voice. I don't know if this showcased his ability. I agree with you. And that was the thing. And, and I'll even far as, go far to say it is that because you have somebody as powerful, mm-hmm. strong voice yep. as Beyonce, kind of washes him smooth on out off right. the track. And that was one thing that they did well in the, um, in the original movie to the original soundtrack is they had Elton John. Mm-hmm. But in the, and then there was also the uh, the movie version, which was two other singers, and so you had both, right? But at the same time, it was just like you have to show deference yeah. to, to the queen, and I think yeah. that that's a good political move for for uh, for Donald Glover. Mm-hmm. But specifically, when it comes to pushing this movie, mm-hmm. like I think Beyonce is what's going to draw fans to come in because yeah. they love. Who she is and what she represents, and we're still being introduced to the layers of Donald Glover slash mm-hmm. Charles Gambino, which is, uh, you know, as multifaceted as it is, sometimes people don't think that it has the star power. Mm-hmm. And that's been that's been a knock on him. Yeah. I think most of his like career and most of in everything that he's been doing is right. that he doesn't he's he's I would say akin to Kendrick in yeah. personality, where yeah, it's yeah. just like they're the artists they want to mm-hmm. create. They're not necessarily the out in front of your face. They're not the brand. They're, they're not. They're, they're not, not the brand, brand that you would want to put out there that are going to be in your face like a Will Smith facts. or like yeah. a Beyonce or a Denzel or somebody who's going to be that brand or face mm-hmm. to everything. They're just going to be kind of themselves right, <laughs> and have their life right, and then put out these really dope projects and stuff that you want them to work on and be in, mm-hmm. but not necessarily. And he's... If you look at like the cast of Atlanta, right. he surrounded himself with people who are similar, very much elk. so. Yeah. So like Lakeith Stainfield is himself. <laughs> <laughs> he is a fool. He's been doing a lot of uh, Instagram lives in the last like couple weeks. I think he's in like some place where he's, um, I think he's filming something where he's in like Canada or somewhere like. I'm gonna have to check some of those out. He does like Q and A's and just answers stuff, and it's just authentically him. He's he's an odd guy, yeah, <laughs> who's very opinionated and weird, and does what he wants to. And we love him for it, exactly. <laughs> um, Brian Tyree Henry is another one who's a little bit more kind of like, yeah, yeah. You could tell it was more the like popular brand style, mm-hmm. brand side, but mm-hmm. it's still, especially with him in movies like Chucky and uh, or Child's Play, right, and stuff like that. But still, very authentic to himself. I, agree. <laughs> I was going to say that I think. The, the the one thing that I'm happy about is this aligns um, it aligns Donald Glover slash Gambino with uh, receiving more awards and it's mm-hmm. going to help to increase his uh, 
it, it, what he what that brand that he is. It kind of adds more value to it because if you got a guy who's like, all right, you know, I jump on the track with Beyonce, we get a Grammy mm-hmm. and an Oscar, <laughs> and then I do a movie, and because it's an animated film, there's probably no other film that's going to compete, mm-hmm. and they're going to get another award. And yeah. you're like, he's starting to show you what these trophies do. And I can respect that from anybody. He's yep. already got a couple of them. I think he's one off for getting. Um, he just needs, I think, one more. I don't know which one it is. For an ego? Yeah. He needs a Tony. A Tony, right. Because he has, wait, I don't know if he has a. Uh, I think he got something for every single last category. He's. Because I know, well, I know he has a, he has two or three Grammys mm-hmm. for Atlanta mm-hmm. and writing on 30 Rock. Right. He has, I know. Well, that's that's Emmys, right? He has the Emmys. Right. He has Grammys, right? Because he, he got multiple last year. Right. Um, Oscar. He has a musical movie. Oscar. He does. That's what I'm trying to say. He, he only has a musical needs Oscar. A he needs a Tony. Yeah. He just needs to hit the stage play, which people don't realize. That's how he got. What? And then on our other podcast, and I wish we could get these episodes out, but yeah, yeah. Um, we have a guy who his. I, I'm not going to put his name out there because he goes under a pseudonym on the other podcast. He's he's his big rub against Gambino is the reason why he didn't get into DeKalb School of Arts. He got beat out by Gambino and another girl. Well, so and that was what I mean. If you're going to lose to somebody, I'm about to say that's the company to be in. Exactly. So it was the fact that Donald Glover could do um, music and sing and act versus he could do music only and not. Or, no, I think he was acting only and couldn't sing as well. Right. So I mean, I'm like, but dude, you lost to somebody who ended up is on the verge of an egot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like tiptoeing. Exactly. All over the place. So, all he has to really do is do something like a live play. Yeah. And it's or a he, rap. And it would be a rap. Or he can do, he can even do music for a live play. That's true. And because I think, because that, isn't that how, um, yeah, uh, John counts. Legend got in? It is. Yeah. That John is. Legend got in off of, off of doing the music for Technicolor Dream Code. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, hey, he's, he's right there. But okay, so pivoting back to music, um, we talked a little bit. You about said the, all the releases. There's one yeah. that that we left off. I haven't listened to it yet. I know uh, Big Crit. Oh he yes, released, uh, I haven't touched. Yeah, I haven't I'm, touched Chris Joint, but because I, I know I'm going to invest time into it. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I just gotta have like 30 seconds for this. Crit, I have a love hate relationship with Crit. Okay, I love his sound. I love his. Ability to make songs. What I hate is he just—he's one of them artists that's never gonna break through the bubble, and I—I I struggle with that's it. That's true. I struggle with. It. He won't. He won't. I also have an issue with his mixtapes. Yeah. And generally, everything he releases outside of albums. Yeah. Are amazing. Yeah. Then I get to his projects, and I'm just like, eh, okay. uh, it's, it's, it's it's cool. It's underwhelming. Yeah. It's like uh, what was it, Catalactica? Yeah. Was underwhelming, but his mixtape before that, fire. fire. The, <laughs> the releases he did early this year, including yeah. Energy, which I think oh, I put that on. That little uh, six, seven song joint was fire. Exactly. But yeah. when he gets to an album, it's just like it all falls apart. Yeah, I don't know, man. But could he be like a southern, and this is, I might get flack for this, but like a southern buster? I was going to say a southern Wale. But. Ooh, that's a good one. That's just me. That's, that's a that's a good one. I would say Buster because Buster broke through eventually. Yeah, but it took when it took a long. It, it he broke through singles, mm-hmm. but him, Jada Kiss, and there's one other person that don't have a classic album yeah. that I would are almost like classic. No, I get you. The, the, there's a struggle. Like 
when you start to first, Crit doesn't have as many features as either of those artists, mm-hmm. but I think that his style is why that's prohibited. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the reference is, is adequate. Like he is literally respected across the industry. And oh, yeah. you know he come with heat. If you're talking about having a lyrical uh, uh, an MC out of the South, his name comes up in the discussion. Mm-hmm. And yet and still, you don't get a solid project and there's not going to be too many classic full-length joints. Mm-hmm. You know? But And the thing that I knock him for is not producing for more other people. Because I love his production. He's like, he reminds me similar to Tyler. Tyler Creator is the same way. I I was saying that Tyler is a phenomenal producer. People don't put him up on a a pedestal enough, in my opinion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he doesn't, but it's because he, he produces for himself. Frank Ocean, yeah. Earl Sweatshirt, and that's it. That's and it. like in the internet, sometimes. Right. <laughs> right. And he's he's. They're both really dope. Mm-hmm. And but it just doesn't. It doesn't roll. I fear and it, he's going to take not Tyler, but um, Crit is going to fall into the David Banner uh, bubble, where eventually spirals out. His beats will be still notable. You mm-hmm. might get a couple uh, atypical. Uh, uses of his beats but mm-hmm. eventually that's who you become known as like this lyricist that you make great beats and that's it yeah i, I can know. see I that feel that's unfortunate but i can i can definitely see it yeah i didn't even to the virtual wisdom i was <laughs> just like the crit album has been sitting oh yeah on my heart and i was like <laughs> i'm i don't know if i want to touch this yet or not yeah but that's why i, I think that's another reason i picked up just to listen to ed sheeran as well because yeah. one i needed a a gap from listening to Hardcore lyric beat yeah. centric Dreamville Facts. to get to something more melodic. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, and that's why I kind of like shifted over. Even though, and then Ed Sheeran is such a beast. And yeah, he is. We I actually was talking about this with my neighbor yesterday that we that he's such a nice. It's weird to have a cross section of the nicest guy ever mm-hmm. and super talented. <laughs> right. And that's what you get with Ed Sheeran, and you're like, you know what? I want this guy to win because he's actually a nice person. Yeah, he is. He's then you have. Like a, Somebody like John Mayer, who's a, a complete dick, yeah. but super talented. Yeah. A douche. But I will listen to his albums. Oh, yeah. I feel bad because, like, with, with Ed Sheeran, um, I think that, and, and I've, I've had this suspicion for a while. Obviously, we're very, like, visual oriented when it comes to the way that we, we elevate certain musicians. And mm-hmm. Ed Sheeran's a weird looking guy. He you is. Know? He's a weird looking guy. <laughs> We're cool with him because he was in Game of Thrones. We're cool with him because he makes like music that praises, uh, you know, women and that praises like healthy relationships. But if you saw Ed Sheeran walking on the street, chances are you wouldn't even speak to this dude. No, he's, he's, just, he's just another weird redhead looking right. guy. He, like he's quirky. He looks like he, he should work at Hot Topic. You know, that's how you feel when you see him. And and I think that that has some effect on his popularity. I could, uh, yeah. I can definitely see that. Like if Ed Sheeran looked like Justin Bieber, oh, it'd be over. It'd be he'd be right. the biggest artist in the world. Like he'd be. <laughs> you know where Ed Sheeran into one of these like Channing Tatum looking frames, <laughs> and this dude all of a sudden becomes this like you know even more popular, even more best selling artist. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's so. weird. He's he's a weird guy, but like I said, he's overall a nice guy. So right, I can't be so mad at it. Um, anything else you're you're uh, listening to right now before we get to our um, or we want to bring up before we get to our rapid fire questions? Because this is something that people have liked, and then I like to hit hit my guests with. Yeah, no, I mean, for the rapid fire. So I, I've uh, 
this ain't gonna sound come off right, but my last name is Brown, <laughs> so I've been listening to my namesake Chris Brown. Like, <laughs> I have a He's theory, a man. Right if your last man. name is Brown, you either are destined to be like it's, it's split. You either evil or you really good. <laughs> And that's it. and I feel like Chris Brown is one of those guys that uh, he give you thirty songs, and the last time he did it was an unfocused thirty. I mm-hmm. do feel like this this outing, he's been better at consistency and giving us like a cohesive, more typical Chris Brown project. So I like that. But more than anything, I just liked his features, like Juvie on the track. I was like, it feels good to that hear Juvenile the, again. I for, yeah, I you did know? listen to part of this. It's just it, thirty tracks is exhausting. It is exhausting. But when thirty <laughs> tracks. First of all, we're on the road a lot. You know, yeah. you fly, I fly. So me on a plane for two hours playing Chris Brown, that's you know, that takes away half of the trip. I watch a part of a movie, I listen to the album, and then I'm there. So, yeah. so I've appreciated having the thirty tracks over the past couple of weeks to listen to. Mm-hmm. But it is just his features that real in the the way that the instrumentation tends to I would say it, he gets music that is built for him. And I've even yeah. watched some some uh, videos online where the artists that work with him, the, the producers, carve songs around him. Mm-hmm. And he has a track where he basically takes the grinding beat and puts it to an R&B rhythm. And I'm like, this sounds incredible. Because <laughs> like, I love grinding. Yeah. I love R&B. And then he just comes over with his little... And then... <laughs> I, I can it works out. It. No, but he's in Hawaii. I didn't hear why. What did he do this time? He said <laughs> this time. something along the lines of... I, now, I don't remember the entire thing, but it was something along the lines that he didn't like dark-skinned women. Oh, shit. And, <laughs> you, you can cut your ass off. This is, this is an explicit podcast. Okay. Um, so, he said he said that, and that reignited the... Because, I mean, if you look at his dating history, he does have a prototype. He does. <laughs> and it's Rihanna, and then Rihanna diet. Right. <laughs> For the rest of his, his chicks. And... He said something along those lines, and I'm sure Twitter, as Twitter does, Twitter went crazy. Yeah, I'm sure they ate him up. Uh, I mean, Chris should know by now that he makes statements, and it immediately it's going to be considered, considered inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I said Browns have to really do a better job in general of making sure that we're consistent with what we say and what we believe. But Chris is an awkward person in, in the sense that he doesn't fully process what he says. Like, he just... He just speaks. And I think that I'm not coming to his aid at all. I just feel like maybe he deserves some of that fire. And I try to separate the music, his particular musical style, away from his personality. So it allows me to still listen to some of it. Not all of it, because I'm not a huge you know, supporter. But yeah. I, I listen to new music. And yeah. his was 30 tracks of listening to. Yeah. But yeah, nah, I mean, he's he's got to be smarter than that. He, <laughs> he would think he would be now. by now. Right. So, and that's why he he said something along the lines. Chris Brown continues to face backlash over his lyric on the track "Need a Stack." On the track, which features Lil Wayne and Joyner Lucas, Brown says, "Only want to fuck black bitches with nice hair." And then it kind of spirals out of out of there from there because he, wow. I think he tried. To clean it up and that that didn't ain't gonna work. Sometimes I just wonder what happens when y'all in the studio, artists. Like when y'all in the studio and he write this lyric and you hear him go up. Not one person was like, mm, maybe you should maybe you should just say, say only want to mess with women with nice hair. Like why you gotta say specifically? 
a, a, a very sensitizing comment. Yeah, but whatever. You know, I'm pretty sure it was preceded by several other comments that we just overlooked. That could have been the rewrite because we don't know what could have been said before that, right. and that's rough. So, um, but yeah, that's you asked yeah. what I've been listening to. That's most recently what I listened to. Okay. So. Um, before we do get to the rap fire, fire, fire questions, I want to talk real quick about what um, did you hear what Jermaine Dupri said? Yeah, yeah, I read about that this morning. Yeah, what what did you think about? Because so for those who don't know, his comments were kind of centered around that all the we yes we have a ton of female rappers out right now. Yeah, but they all JD was saying, and this is JD, not PJ Alex. JD was saying they are all sound the same and are sound like strippers rapping. Right, and so that was his comment. What did what did you think about that? So the first thing I gotta say is like. I understand the complete context of JD and what he's meant to hip hop. And, mm-hmm. and I think that it's understated a lot is like his impact. You're talking about a kid who was in a, a Curtis Blow or Houdini, I don't know which one video when he was a kid, yeah. pop lock dancing, who spins off, starts a record label that becomes arguably one of the most uh, influential musical uh, influencers of musical sound in the South yep. and becomes the hub of what. Or helps to build Atlanta as a musical hub. Mm-hmm. So I respect JD for his uh, his dedication to to hip hop and his dedication to building music and even building musical artists like from the ground up. Mm-hmm. But that's the part where I have to draw the line because if you could say I've helped build some of the greatest hip hop acts and have had firsthand interactions with some of the greatest female MCs to ever mm-hmm. grace mics. How can you say that, dog? Like, you and the brat, <laughs> like, dog, you and the brat created the prototype for this back and forth rap, mm-hmm. you know, and for you to have rela- working relationships with Missy Elliott, for you to have dated Janet Jackson mm-hmm. and influenced her style, and like hearing how all of these women who have used both sexuality as well as their artistry to, to further uh, music and further the culture. Like you can't say stupid stuff like that. Exactly, <laughs> it, and, it, and, it's, and it, I think it's stupid to look at it from a lens of just the the most popular artists at the moment. Because right. yes, you can. It is difficult sometimes to tell City Girls and whichever one's out of jail and right. the one and Megan Thee Stallion yeah. apart from each other, which all seem like they center in the the circle of the Cardi camp. Yeah. But then you have other female artists doing right. Rhapsody. Um, Tink, uh, what is the? There's another chick that's out here is killing stuff right now. I mean, there's a plethora of women who either we name or we don't name who mm-hmm. are still in that arena. And I guess the problem is like his ears are biased. They like are. he is hearing mainly the women who he thinks identify as you know stripper rappers, which isn't cool, man. And I think that, and this is not because I, I mean I live in the Bronx, so mm-hmm. I'm obviously almost indigenously team Cardi, but <laughs> you can't demean Cardi to the point where it's like all you're doing is stripper rapping. It's like, no, no bro, she is she's she's here legitimately shifting the culture again yeah. in a way that we don't know we never anticipated. So to reduce uh female MCs to that and I, I guess let me just say this. Like 
I've never, I've, I've always been kind of plus or minus on Nicki Minaj, but Nicki got bars. And she does. <laughs> now, and it's another question of if she wrote them or not. But, right. that's but she has that. bars and delivery. Yeah. Shoot, JD was writing lyrics for Criss Cross and all yeah, the other people. So else, yeah. I'm not worried about the ghostwriters. I'm mm-hmm. saying that in the, the view of the public, Nicki is going to give you some of that, but she's going to give you some bars. Yeah. And as long as someone is delivering bars, you don't have the, the, the luxury of just lumping them in as stripper rap. Exactly. You know? And then you have people like, uh, and this is somebody I got introduced to. I heard her song. Mm-hmm. Got I saw her set from a distance at Coachella. Yeah. And then ever since then, she's just been killing shit. It's Lizzo. Lizzo, Lizzo can spit. she can spit. She can apparently play the flute, which yeah. is just incredibly talented. She's up there. She's a big girl. She's mm-hmm. dancing her ass off mm-hmm. in the in the vein of like heavy D. Yeah, and it's just dope. Yeah. Like I don't understand how you can just. This just goes on the the uh, filters to the side, right? So this just falls underneath those like you know unconscious misogynistic comments that guys are making, uh, and they're using their I would say. OG status mm-hmm. to propel these comments, like as if they have the right to say them in the first place, which is a gross, uh, an, a gross overestimation of your authority. Mm-hmm. So, it is, you know, and and I also think that part of it is the whole thing that we see so time and time again of the so old heads. Mm-hmm. Looking at what's new and looking at new artists and being like, oh, these weirdos are just doing something right. stupid. Because we have had that. I mean, we've had that with the mumble rappers, but true, still, like, true. people have risen above that and yeah. said, nah, these are what this is what the, the, the youth is listening to. And if you think back about it, what did your father say about your, your music and the older artists say about your music when you first came out? Right. I, I feel like there should be, and this is just like 100% transparency. If, you know, if MC Light, Queen Latifah, if mm-hmm. Salt and Pepper, if even I could go a little sooner, Eve would have come out and made these comments, then maybe I would have given it a little bit more respect. But he's not of that pedigree. No. If the brat would have just said, you know, I don't trust these. And the, the sad part is when older or like OG female MCs make their comments, their critiques are usually just about the quality of the bars. Yeah. It's never like, yo, these women are out here, you know, making raunchy lyrics and yeah. doing this. They, they never care about that. They're just like, yo, I would love it if she put more metaphors in it. Yeah. So. And it's, it's constructive <laughs> criticism. It's it's like, hey, this would help you more. It's it's stuff that would benefit them, not yeah. tear them down. Like, because you never, I never saw like a, a Queen Latifah, Lil' Kim beef. Oh. No. <laughs> and Kim had issues with Nikki directly. That yeah. wasn't like, I dislike her music. I'm hating on what she's oh, doing. Right. I'm like, she was kind of disrespectful to me. Like that was personal beef, not just tear down. Beef. I agree. So, so yeah. he's out of pocket. Yeah, yeah, he's out of pocket. Sorry, JD. Yeah, pocket. He been he he just like I think every ten years he just likes to take to a different relevant album. man. Yeah. Just trying to remain relevant, dude. And JD, man, just go somewhere, dude. It just chill. Just calm the hell down right. and just. <laughs> anyway, uh, rapid fire questions. Yeah. So, these are some questions that I. Bring to my guests, okay. music centric that I like to to get their response on. Right. Most of which I've answered already in the past. Yeah. Some of which I'll chime in for the more current ones. Okay. So, first one: Who is your favorite artist of all time? Favorite artist of all time. It's rough. Hmm. Can be any genre. Does not have to be hip hop. Can be any. Oh, literally any like genre. oh, okay. Yeah. Any any listening 
Yes. I agree. Uh, probably Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. I think Stevie Wonder is the best uh, all-inclusive artist. Like he had tremendous setbacks. Mm-hmm. He's from Saginaw, Michigan. My dad from Saginaw. My dad even tells stories about when they were kids. He used, they used to be jumping from Project Rooftop to Project Rooftop. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, you lying. And then I got older and I started researching him. I was like, Yo. This could actually be true. (laughs) (laughs) So that's neither neither here nor there whether it's true. The the jury's still out. But as far as his like impact on music and how Stevie Mm -hmm. consistently has made projects that make you think, that make you hurt, that make you cry, that make you love and laugh, and it is across multiple ethnicities and generations. Like I love music that is timeless, and Stevie is just the purveyor of that. Mm -hmm. So he is probably at the top of my list of uh, artists. All right. What about what about in hip hop? Just just, okay. Yeah. (laughs) So, all right. I'm a big fan of Tupac, mm-hmm. and I hate that it sounds so cliche, but coming from the West Coast and, and growing up uh, where you, you want somebody to have that similar musical identity that you can, you can tap into, Pac was like part of my childhood. I remember the first time I heard his music, how it made me feel. Mm-hmm. I remember being prideful of being from the West before I really understood what it meant to be from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And... Then when I was able to appreciate his depth, that's what kind of took it to the next level. Because not a lot of artists have this ability to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and for it to, to be like such a layered uh, a layered presentation. So I like that. And then I'm still learning things from him. Yeah. I'm still learning things from his music. So he's high up there for me very, for hip-hop. Very dope. All right. So who's your favorite artist of this moment? Right now. Like stuff going on right now. Who so we, you, can we take Gambino off the table? Okay, we can, we can take Gambino off because, table. like, he is a different thing to me altogether. <laughs> yep, and and, and uh, we can definitely take him off the table until he until he drops the album. Yeah, right, gotta, <laughs> we know it's coming. It's in the can him. somewhere. All right. Um, so right now, like, I have to say that I used to have this little Kendrick Cole Drake. Axis, mm-hmm. and, and I, yeah, like where I was like, all right, you know, this is a these are the the people in the industry right now who I feel have their their thumbs on the pulse and are making music that is pushing the boundary. Mm-hmm. I now want to say comfortably, I I think that J Cole is the one, and it's hard for me to say because Kendrick has historically been the one that I thought was the greatest until mm-hmm. one of our buddies, Ron, mm-hmm. he said something to me and it pissed me off because, you know, we get in arguments, me and Ron, <laughs> we are like on uh, polar opposites on a lot of the times, even mm-hmm. though we appreciate some of the same art. Mm-hmm. Ron said, Talo, can you rap an entire Kendrick song? I was like, dang, <laughs> I don't know if I can. That's tough. Like an entire Kendrick song from start to finish. Now, I'm not talking about the white dude that got up on the stage and spit the verse to the, yeah. uh, that one track <laughs> and that, that went viral. Yes. You know, that video on YouTube that went viral. I'm talking about like a standard Kendrick song. You can't do it. But we all know where's the crooked smile. Yeah. We all know like, like J. Cole does it in a different level. And mm-hmm. the thing that I've liked now is he's been an underdog in that arc so much that now he's just murdering everything. And that's what I appreciate is he still feels competition and he is hungry as hell. So I like J. Cole as far as like in terms of the new school. Like that's what I rock with. Okay. I like like J. Cole. I wish he would push his boundaries as far as 
music that doesn't necessarily put me to sleep. Well, that's all his the problem. Time. <laughs> the problem is he wants to produce everything. He, that is the problem. And he got multiple friends who are executive producers who exactly. can come in and be like, yo, we're going to change this sound. We can tweak this a little bit. Mm-hmm. But which nah. is why, which led me to my hot take of the week, okay. which was that Lupe should sign to Dreamville. If that happens, it might be a, it might be a black hole that opens up. <laughs> like, I don't know if we can take that, but I would love to hear it. And apparently, I, I looked into it because somebody, um, somebody, when I posted that on, I posted the status on Facebook and I think yeah. Twitter too, and somebody commented like, "Doesn't Lupe and J Cole have beef?" I did look back; they took shots at each other yeah. in 2016. I'm yeah. like, that's three years ago though. Right. And Lupe. Lupe released a track this like last week as well, yeah. and it's back to his same issue of he has dope lyrics on trash beats, and even his best the cannabis curse. It is. <laughs> this is why I don't. I have a policy. I don't argue with cannabis fans because they're unreasonable. I am unreasonable as a cannabis fan, but I'm just saying dope lyrics, trash beats, and that's initiated by cannabis, and that's. Even Lupe's best music is on terrible beats, and it, mm-hmm. Lasers, the beats are better, and he they, he toned it down. So I'm like, it's a toss up. Anyway, so that that was my hot take because I feel like Lupe would benefit to come in there and kind of disrupt some things, and his he would be able to stand on his own in a lyrical right monster contest that is sitting there with with all the dreams. Not only that, but he would also bring. A, a an un, underrepresented fan base, I think, mm-hmm. to the table. Like with yeah. Dreamville, I like the artists that are on Dreamville. Mm-hmm. I do feel like they are all like baby J. Coles. Like they they kind of have. I mean, I don't want to demean them. Like when I listen to, for example, um, TDE, like mm-hmm. all the TDE artists to me, for the most part, sound distinct. Yeah, they, they stand distinct. on their their own. Schoolboy doesn't sound like you know J Rock. Doesn't sound like Kendrick. Doesn't sound like Absol. Yeah, doesn't sound like uh, Rashad. Um, Isaiah Rashad. Rashad. So or I'm like scissors on her own. On her own wavelength, right? <laughs> and so when I listen to to Dreamville, I still get the feel that if Cole wasn't affiliated with the project, we probably wouldn't listen to the project. Mm-hmm. So you add a Lupe to that mix. And yeah, I was like. You might want to listen to this project because yeah. now you're gonna get <laughs> the best beats with Young Hungry Talent, yeah, with J Cole who can murder anything that you put him on. So I think that that's a pretty good, uh, a good high take, man. I, I, I think it would be dope because just listening to the to the new, um, and I was a big proponent of Drogo's Wave, yeah, which yeah. was Lupe's last album, right? Because it's just. Super creative. I love mm-hmm. his concept albums because they're yeah. they're 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 dope. And then lyrics on top of it, and my secret love affair with Nicki Jean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it it's 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 an interesting take, and I think that they would benefit from kind of some more women in the room. I feel that. And it could who could do the scene the that could play the part of oh, what's the light skinned girl from the band's name. From the band, the band. Oh, Sarah? No, I think Sarah. I don't. Know. I think it was Sarah. Something like that. Not Babs, because Babs I know was rapping. Oh yeah, 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 the other yeah. girl. I didn't talk about the one, the actual mute. Like Sarah, yeah. that was the part of the group. Dang. 
Speaking of which, uh, what should we call it? Dude got arrested last week. Um, what? Not Dylon. The other one. The uh, Chopper City got arrested oh, in New Orleans for some God. reason last week. Of course week. he did. I was dying laughing. Of course <laughs> he did. Yeah. And then Diddy got approached about doing another The Band by MTV. And it would be on MTV because I think they still own the rights to it. So, of course, it wouldn't be on Revolt. Listen, but I'm here for that. I would be here I for it. I think Diddy is under... Appreciate in terms of his ability to construct a, a platinum group. Yeah, everybody goes platinum for one album at least. Diddy gonna be Diddy in natural element of being Diddy is just the most entertaining thing in the world. To watch. Oh, of course. So I mean, it wouldn't. The show would not be about the artists. No, it would definitely be about Diddy. But my Sending point is to Brooklyn to get cheesecake. But Diddy gets results. He is a winner. Oh yeah. And he makes whoever gets on these tracks. He's like, we're That's not putting it down unless it, we win. It drives me nuts. Like, not drives me nuts. It's like it's like a it's a jealousy love hate thing, where he just comes in on a track. And yeah. it, last one I think was um, it was something with uh, what was what was the thing that sampled Uncle Luke? It was a, it's a, it's oh uh, the uh, I know what you're talking about the um, pop that yeah. yeah. Yeah, he comes in at the end of it, and you just hear him do the bad boy. No. Like, damn it, Yo. he's still going. That's it. No, I mean, when when Diddy got on, he there was a wave where all he was doing was just jumping on songs, same damn time. He did the same damn time remix. Uh, he got a song where he jumped on uh, Ole Do It. Yeah, you know? where he was just like, you know, he's still like active, and it's just like he's still doing it. And then besides, like the alcohol ventures yeah, and yeah, every yeah. other thing that he's involved in. It's just like he's still out here and it's just like he's a he's a he's a he's a runner and a yeah, driver. That's it. Um next question. Mm-hmm. Favorite album of all time. Oh gosh. So if I had to do a favorite album it would definitely be like a Michael Jackson project. But if we're talking mm. hip hop albums, um I think the one that had the biggest impact on me was uh, "Not of Your Grounds," mm. uh, "The Roots," "Things Fall Apart." Oh, good that one! That was the the album that first. I mean, I was in high school when it came out, and I, I, I think it was like the best way that you can introduce somebody to hip hop. Yeah, like to the point where you're meeting you for the first time. I remember breathing in music and being mm-hmm. like, "Damn, this is refreshing as hell." Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was hearing Rozelle beatbox, uh, whether it was getting them, like hearing that song, uh, Hip Hop, You the Love of My Life, where they build the beat up from like voices and acoustics, and then all of a sudden the raps come in. You got me the first time we get blessed with Joe Scott's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every single track on that album to me was a, it was that, that standalone breath of fresh air. And I just, the, the cover, the covers, mm-hmm. multiple covers, like all of this was a, a curated uh, walk through hip hop. So that was, I would say, my favorite album. It ties closely for me, and I know this is even crazier, but B by Common is one mm-hmm. album that I listen to every, I would say like every few months, like it's brand new. Oh. It's, man, um, one of my favorite moments of this past mm-hmm. year. And I was sad that you weren't able to, because I know you were finishing everything with yeah yeah <laughs> um, with your residency. Mm-hmm. Coachella went to Coachella. Co- Coachella. One one thing I will say about Coachella, it's not just about 
the artists that are there. Yeah. There's a whole feeling and vibe to Coachella that is unmatched. And it's just an amazing festival to go to yeah. and enjoy and fully take in. But there's side things that nobody knows about. Yeah. That like there is a thing called the Do Lab, which is all DJs and it's like a it's like a party from sun up to sundown with wow. different DJs. And they'll intentionally put on there special guest or somebody else yeah. and then like I and this year they had a special guest. And it ended up being major lasers. Oh, wow. And it was just unannounced guests. The Heineken tent gets released, like the lineup for the Heineken tent, which is just Heineken has this huge tent that has a bunch of misters in it. So you're not burning your ass up. And then you can come in by Heineken, chill out, 21 and up to get in there. And they have a list of performers. We missed out the first year I went. Yeah. Wu Tang performed. Nobody knew oh, that yeah. they were going to perform. We ended up me and me and uh, Marcus, friend of the podcast. He we went in mm-hmm. just because we needed a break. And we were in between the sets. Yeah. DJ Mustard comes up and starts DJing, oh, man, and we was like, and it, "What the fuck is going yeah. on? Like, why did we not know about this?" Right. So, so this year, we saw it ahead of time. They started publishing it maybe like the week before. Yeah, that the Roots were doing a set. Oh, man, we thought, okay, <laughs> the Roots are doing a set. 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Yeah. These fools played for two hours. That's awesome. And it was like, we were 60, 50 feet away from the stage. Oh, you had a whole Roots concert in your lap. In my lap. It was the greatest. And and plus, it, it gets you a little bit away from the, the yeah. super crowds that are out there. Right. It was nuts. I, and it was amazing. Those it was end up being the, the experiences <laughs> that, that little articulate your life. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, I had a, a little small set and then... I'll tell you one quick story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in Nashville. You know, I went to med school in Nashville. And I went to a random party at this little hole-in-the-wall spot. And Nashville's good Quest place. Love jumps on. And he DJs wow. for like two hours straight. And all he does is he plays classic songs and then a song that sampled it. And he just goes back and forth, like digging so deeply in crates. And I'm just like, what is this? And then he would speed it up, and then you'd hear the sample, and then it would go. And I was just like, and all while, like narrating this as a, a party. So it wasn't, I, I'll say this I've had maybe five, if I could count on one hand, five experiences musically that have been transcended. Mm-hmm. This is in those five. Good grief, man. That, that's, that's how. Quest Love is an amazing artist, and it's just the fact that they just embody a part of Philadelphia that people mm-hmm. don't understand. Is there is a deep-seated part of Philadelphia that yeah. I that I love, right. and there is like I want to say like two sides to Philly, right. and it's like well, there's many sides to Philly, but there's like the Meek Mill, mm-hmm. Bean Seagull Freeway yeah. lane, mm-hmm. but then you also have this weird underground. Like soulful movement that is the Jill Scotts and the Roots mm. and just different artists and even Nikki Jean who I brought up she is from Minneapolis but cut her teeth with in in Philly that makes sense it's a ton of and then if you even go back to the Gamble and Huff days that are just Philly is this 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 amazing cultural place that I love DJ Jazzy Jeff is another person is it's just you if you are an I mean hell pop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Pac>. <laughs> I mean, you can go artist for artist, like Man. about how Philly has become has had this influence, and it is very soulful, and it's something oh, yeah. that's real about it. Yeah, so. and I and I love it. Um, what is your favorite song of the moment? 
of the moment. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> Man. All right. Because I know this is supposed to be like a super conscious. Uh, like, I, I should say something that is extremely conscious right now. Me, you. But... Right now, man, I like this song by K Camp called Lottery. Really? Now, the thing is, I gotta give context. <laughs> it's not even a great song. It's not. It's just a fun song. That's what it needs sometimes. Now, too, especially during the summer, it's, it's warm out, you're happy, yeah. stuff going on. So, my, 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 my logic for it is K Camp is sort of an underdog here, and I think mm-hmm. that he's had some influence. On, I would say the mumble rap group, whoever we want to like lump them in. Mm-hmm. I feel like he has become like this. He reminds me of Young Jock of now, and the way that <laughs> Young Jock was for me in college, like this rapper who would make fun music, and mm-hmm. you really appreciated how he like would come up with something that swept the nation. Mm-hmm. That's how K Camp is. So much so that a song that he produced years ago gets. Bit by uh, Lil Uzi Vert, mm-hmm. and then now this song has shot up the, the uh, charts again. <laughs> so I just want K Camp to get that recognition that he deserves. I agree. With Lottery, it's just a fun song, and I think that in a, in, if it's Hot Girl Summer and people want to dance, mm-hmm. this song is going to make people want to <laughs> dance. So I've been listening to it just for the past few days while I've been in Atlanta. Oh, and I'll tell you right now. My favorite song, I have kind of like split favorite songs at the yeah. moment, and you brought it up. And it's that Sanguine Paradise. Dog, that song not, goes so hard. Dog. I didn't listen to it. So you posted it on IG. Man, listen. Man. Man. <laughs> so that was my song for the long And it's because Lil Uzi Vert. Like, I have a whole different reason why I like Lil Uzi Vert. Vert is dope. I like him. Philly guy. Uh, Weird part of Philly, Philly guy. Yeah. I wrote an entire article about Lil Uzi Vert. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. Yeah. But Uzi Vert has such a unique hold on fans mm-hmm. like the, i have it's Man. almost unprecedented to see how much like influence he has you got people literally like chomping at the bits for an album for <laughs> one album eternal attacking like people are people it's like detox and eternal like that is how much hold he has on people and you're like this little guy is 5 foot 2 and you know, dressed like he's sponsored by Nerf, you know, it's <laughs> just a little weird guy. And I like him, man. And I, he's an odd little yeah. guy. He's super genuine to being himself. Yeah, and that's what I like about him. It's just he's just him. Yeah, he's weird. He embraces his weirdness. It's a fact. The 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 video where he like walks up, he's like looking at a, a popsicle, or talking yeah. to some kids on the bus. I don't know. I just got here. And he was just hilariously yeah. him. It was he hopped off a scooter and was like, Hey, what's going on? Right. <laughs> he's he's such a cool guy. And then the fact that he in Sanguine Paradise that samples the K Camp uh Michael Montana yeah. song that I had so much fun to This is what I'm trying to tell you, dude. It like just links in. It parks perfectly. <laughs> and you like the way he still takes the let's do it part mm-hmm. and then adds these rapid fire lyrics to it is what we missed from the Michael Montana one. Yeah. Even though I still like the oh, yeah. <laughs> bumping that Johnny Gill. Like I still like that part. But that song Man. was produced by K Camp. Yeah. And he made lottery as well. Oh yeah. So, so and I've been a fan of K Camp. Um just because he his like random songs are like he has, I, I appreciate anybody who can put clever 
lyrics and just being simple and then put clever things in. That's it. That's why I was kind of drawn to like Neo's writing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He has clever things that go in and can, but still relatable and not like too heavy. Because like Lupe is clever but smart and can be heavy at sometimes, and you got to bust out. The Google and encyclopedia and really dive <laughs> right. So, but with that, I appreciate a clever bar. Yeah, into something that's like, oh, that was cool. I I appreciate that. Um, my other one that I'm gonna. This is this is we talk about cliche. We talk about cliche. It's okay. I'm not tired of Old Town Road yet. I am 100 percent not. I'm not tired of it, but the, have you listened to the new one? The, the remix? The, 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 the re remix. The re remix. <laughs> I, I like it. Okay. Because the part with the little yodeling kid. Yo, that's the part that's playing so hard. I think Young Thug has been left off, and right. you just leave him on there? So, fire. So, here's how this goes down, man. I'm, I, You know, I follow you uh, mm-hmm. on multiple platforms, and I. I saw you tweet something, and then I didn't even put the chest from memory. I was like, that's an interesting little quote. And then later that night, I listened to this remix, and then I hear him say the giddy up out of my way. Yes. And I was like, this is hard, and I can't say it, but I want to say it. Man, it was just, I love it. And I'm yeah. pretty sure uh, Billy Ray probably helped him write it. That's okay. But that's awesome. Like, Billy Ray Cyrus. I, I don't know what happened in that household, yeah. but it's got to be the most interesting household ever with between Miley and her yeah. insanity mm-hmm. and her going into hip-hop, right. kind of rejecting it, and now going back and apologizing. Right. Something is... They under, they get it. They get it, and I'm, I'm, I applaud them for it because he did his thing in the country world and then was a fan of hip-hop and just said, hey, this kid's getting a raw deal. Dog. This I'm going to exactly track with him. So it's now country. You have to. You have, you have to, to actually it. acknowledge it. Now, really? I feel like that's a part of that. Like, I hate to. The only uh, phrase that comes to mind when I speak about this is like that cross the aisle type of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, camaraderie mm-hmm. where you realize that somebody is pushing and is being excluded for being different and creative. And you use your status and your brand to, to help lift them up. And so for. For Billy Ray Cyrus to acknowledge the struggle that um, I forget the kid's name, a Lil Nas X, right? Lil Nas X is going through, and him to not even understand that there were underlying struggles he was already dealing with, mm-hmm. and lend that hand. I'm I'm down for that, and I'm here for every other person. If we want to make thirty different, uh, you know, remixes to it, I'm here for it. If there hey. wants to be fifty-seven thousand <laughs> memes to it, I'm here for it because that is a song that. You know, is generally positive. Mm-hmm. Most kids know it, yeah. and if they're singing this and they're not singing something crazy, I'm all right with that. The, the only issue I have with it is the one lean line. But oh, yeah. yeah, and we talked before. I know your thoughts on lean. Yeah. We'll get to medicine in a minute. Yes. Um, the last two questions, mm-hmm. um, we'll get through pretty quick because uh, you know you and I can sit here and talk about music till right. we're blue in the face. Right. <laughs> What is is I'm gonna give me both to you. Mm-hmm. What is one artist you listen you wish you listened to more, mm-hmm. and one artist do you put people on? Okay. Uh, artist I listen I wish I listened to more, and someone that I put people on to. Mm-hmm. I wish I listened to uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, Danny. 
Do Brown? not a D- yes. Danny, Danny Brown. Danny Brown. Yeah. I wish I listened to more Danny Brown. And I say that because like historically, people respect him a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh they he's respect a him. He's an odd he's an odd ball and a yeah. spitter. I, I like Danny Brown. So I, I haven't had the luxury of like really listening to his catalog and it's just like it's never really appealed to me, but I always see the sites that I go to praise his music. Mm-hmm. So that's weird to me. The other one would be Freddie Gibbs. Another guy that gets a lot of industry respect. People know that he got bars. They yeah. they have they've compared him to some of the more prominent musical sounds. So mm-hmm. I just haven't been like sucked into his music yet. So those two are people that I would well, I wish I gave him more time to, to listen to and I would put people on to. Mm-hmm. Um there's got there's a guy that I put people on now who I've been putting my friends on. He's not necessarily new, but it's Someone who I think deserves a good, serious listen. I can't pronounce his last name because he is Nigerian, I believe. Toby Ngiwe, I think his last name is. Ngiwe? Yeah. I can't pronounce it. But this dude is T-O-B-E <laughs> and then N-G-W-I-W-E. Ngiwe. I think that's... Does he show up? Ngiwe? No. I'm, yeah, I, I see what you're talking about. I, I found him. Well, yeah, yeah you were able to spell it. N W I G W E. This guy's got like a a, a tough last name, mm-hmm. but when it comes to his bars, he rapped on uh, Sway. He was on Sway one time, mm. and he obliterated this thing. And I watch his videos on Instagram, and he's usually like a minute, little quick feed. Mm-hmm. His lyrical ability is. Fantastic. Hmm. The other thing that he does that's really like understated is he's kind of like a like a, a chance the rapper type of a guy where hmm. he blends some spiritual elements into what he says. Okay. And you can tell that this is a guy who is like Oh, he's out of Houston. Yeah, and this is what I'm trying to tell you. He's out of Texas. He raps like Crit meets three thousand meets I would almost venture to say chance. Like, that's how he sounds. Interesting. And he's received a lot of praise. This dude is going to blow up. He actually does tours with E.T., the hip-hop preacher. Oh, so they'll go okay. to these places. He, E.T. will motivate him. he come out there and spit some bars that are uplifting. And it's so multifaceted. Like, the verses, this is his, his wordplay is, is incredible. Okay. So, I'll, I'll definitely give a listen to him. But I want to hit a story real quick about cool. Danny Brown. So mm-hmm. I got introduced to Danny Brown because I got I, okay. So A3C is a music yep, festival conference that happens in Atlanta mm-hmm. every year, and it's super dope. It's grown like it used to be at one venue. It was just concerts and then maybe mm-hmm. like a, a panel discussion. Right now it's at multiple venues. It's over an entire week. Wow! It's um you they have. Every different facet of the music business, they have panels and people coming to talk. Which is helpful. I get it. It's, it's super. It's a full conference dope. that has dope concerts in it. Okay. And I'm actually about to sign up for passes for this year because it's in October in Atlanta every year. Okay. And I went to one one year, and that's where I got introduced to Smoke Dizza and mm-hmm. Freddie Gibbs. Okay. And ironically, Crip was there that same year. And that was when Country Shit was his big song. And he actually would jump out into the crowd. And I was in the crowd right in front of where he jumped. And we were moshing right in front while he was doing Country Shit. Craig got that. 
<laughs> and so that was super dope. And it was it's just a dope festival, but and festival conference. So I started listening to Smoke Dizzy stuff. Smoke Dizzy has mm-hmm. a song called Four Loco. Yep. Four Loco has like ten it has Smoke Dizzy, Freeway, Danny Brown, and somebody else is on that song. I can't remember now. But anyway, so I came because it was Smoke Dizzy and Freeway. And heard this weird guy rapping, and I was like, "That voice is distinctive. Yeah. He um, is killing. He's lyrically killing it. Yeah. And he starts out uh, like something Molly in my pocket and my pea coat, mm-hmm. and just goes from there, and it's just nuts. And I was like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" And then I went to my first Gambino concert at Tabernacle, right. which had been on that tour. It was the camp tour. This is early. This is early. I was. It was the camp tour. Right. He before the Atlanta date, it was St. Patrick's Day weekend. Mm-hmm. This is this goes into a lot because <laughs> so the first date I was going, our HR paper stacks, LA came up from Orlando to go to the concert with me. Yeah, it was St. Patrick's Day weekend. We get an email the night before that Gambino broke his leg in Tampa. The night before the show, and they canceled it. So we just ended up going to St. Patrick's Day weekend. Right. Also, the same weekend that I introduced HR Paper Stacks to his now wife <laughs> was that weekend because it was her birthday weekend. Right. So then we ended up. He came back up for that for the concert. Yeah. During that whole thing, his opener was I forget who his opener was. When he came back, he had to have a different opener. Right. His opener was Danny Brown. I didn't know who this cat was. And he gets on stage and I hear his voice. And I was like, that voice sounds familiar. And it gets closer and closer. He's doing music that I had never heard. Right. I was like, he's, he can spit. He's cool. Yeah. Then he gets to Four Loco and he does his part. And like, there Loco. it is. <laughs> That's that guy that right. I know. Right. And okay, he's dope. That's how I got introduced to Danny Brown. And that's why I became kind of a fan of him. Okay. He's been just a weirdo and everything else. Now, the, the other thing that happened that night. There was a white guy mm. on stage with Danny Brown. And we realized that he was actually doing the beats for Danny's music live on stage. Oh, he, oh, he had a beat crazy. machine and was doing the beats, playing the loop. Do the beats, play the loop. He was programming them in real time. Programming in <laughs> real time as he's doing the songs. Wow. And we were like, that guy's impressive. Come to find out it's Ludwig. Ludwig Rawson. Who, who ends is, up being the one who, <laughs> who did the, the so people know him for his Grammy for the soundtrack for Creed and Black yeah. Panther, right? And is Gambino's writing partner, and in amazing. Did, uh, he's done a bunch of Gambino, so I think yeah. he's the one in the did, soundtracks uh, for Community yeah. and Parks and Rec and uh, Thirty Rock. That's how they met. Was I think on Thirty Rock? That's crazy. Insane. So I was like, the amount that was in that room at the right. same time was just nuts. So, anywho, <laughs> so that that's my Danny Brown, Ludwig, Gambino tie-in story, and, that, and plus that was my first time seeing Gambino live, which was just amazing. I've seen him, I think, five times at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So that actually gets us through our music session. Like I said, we could talk about sit here. We talked about it for an hour just about music. Oh, nice. <laughs> but get to get to it, we haven't even got to the the meat. <laughs> we wanted to talk about you good you need a break oh, I'm solid I can go there you go so I introduced you as Dr. Atala Brown yeah man you are a, are a doctor who just finished your residency not too long ago so you are a full 
fledged, fledged yeah. all yeah. things attending, attending yeah. physician. That's right. And, and so, so what does that what does that actually mean? Okay. So um, so I, I finished medical school uh, at Meharry Medical College, is in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, at that point, you know, every physician who, who person who receives an MD or a DO has to enter residency training so that they can gain a special set of skills uh, for a medical specialty. Now, I trained in emergency medicine, so uh, I'm up in the Bronx or was training in the Bronx at Jacoby and Montefiore. These are are pretty serious hospitals. When you talk about uh, trauma, mm-hmm. uh, it's described as like different levels of trauma. Trauma, like a level one trauma center would be like Grady here. Yeah. It'd be, you know, Cedar sinai And anywhere where you get a ton of motor vehicle collisions, penetrating traumas like gunshot wounds, stab mm-hmm. wounds, uh, and, and you have to figure out the, the medical management of those things. So I finished four years of that, and now I'm getting ready to head west to Stanford. So nice. uh, the, the cool thing about this. For the record, guys, that's that's. The first time I do, I heard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm heading to Stanford. Uh, I'll be one of their uh, their their only black uh, physicians or black attendings there, and I'll be the only black male that they've ever recruited. Wow! So uh, this is going to be a different ball game, and I'm excited to go. But specifically with emergency medicine, like our job is to we meet people on their worst days. You mm-hmm. know? Either you have no other option, or this is a last resort, or this is the best place for you to go for the type of injury. Mm-hmm. And we're forced to to come up with solutions uh, under pressure, make tough decisions, and try to advance patients to that next place, whether it be admitting them to a hospital, whether that means observing them for a little bit, or being able to discharge them because whatever the condition is, is either resolved or we have a clear answer for it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it, it's tough. Like, emergency oh, yeah. has been... <laughs> The, the the coolest job to have in a hospital, but it's also one of those things that, you know, you are face to face with some of the most, uh, you know, dangerous, you know, I want to say dangerous. You're face to face with some of the most critical cases that come across and you also have to deal with social elements. Mm-hmm. So and then that how do you feel how. So I know my my experience. Mm-hmm. I'm not a I I am not on the medical side. I'm not on the clinical side. Right. I am on the billing side. Yeah, I <laughs> so I do the numbers and everything else. But so my purview into mm-hmm. your world is like most people. Right. Television. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The resident. ER. I love you these types of questions. Yeah, so yeah. how does what you see and the craziness that you see on like. A television show. Right. Most recently for me has been The Resident and The Good Doctor mm-hmm. and things like that compared to your normal day to day. Right. What you see and then is it as crazy or is it as is it exaggerated or is it somewhere in between? Okay. So I, I usually tell people that these shows that you, that are you know common on uh, television all have physicians who are 
like their consultants. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're emergency medicine consultants because mm-hmm. of the types of stuff we see during residency and in practice. So every case that you've ever seen on television that's come through an ER has happened in an ER. Anytime you've seen, oh, the girl gets brought into the ED, she's straddling the patient and pumping on his chest, like that happens. And you're talking about, oh, there's the gunshot guy who got like half of his arm ripped off or, or you know, you get the, the person who comes in from a multi-car pileup and there's six or, six or seven patients at the same time and the mm-hmm. emergency department goes haywire. This happens all the time. <laughs> but there's also a part that's over-exaggerated uh, or rather sensationalized. Like, on more, more often than not, I get the patient who's like a 70-year-old lady with a headache or <laughs> the, you know, 22, 23-year-old woman who's having her first child and mm-hmm. has like vaginal bleeding and is worried about uh, the state of the child. Mm-hmm. And, and we get so many of those middle of the road or even just it's a drunk guy or someone yeah. who had, uh, you know, edibles for the first time and they don't know <laughs> what the hell is happening to them. Like those cases come in all the time. So that has articulated a lot of my, my training is like mm-hmm. having these highs and lows and that's what kind of is the quintessential uh, piece of being an ER physician is you have to be able to think through all of those things. Like mm-hmm. figure out that the homeless person who's coming in just wants somewhere that's warm and, and dry to sleep mm-hmm. and would like a sandwich. Uh, and that person who's complaining of chest pain maybe having a heart attack and at the same time, when you get the patient who's like high off of PCP and ripping things off the wall, you have to figure out how to manage that. And mm-hmm. in the middle of all of those things comes the person who got shot in the chest. Man. So, <laughs> so, yeah, and that's what I think some of those like more, especially when you get to the more like frequent flyer types, mm-hmm. the people, the homeless guy who is just looking for a place. That's where you get into the show. Have you watched New Amsterdam? Yep. You know, that's in New York, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's why I think about when I watch New Amsterdam, I start to think about like, oh, is this what Tala goes through? <laughs> and that's why New Amsterdam was interesting to me just because it it takes medicine from a different like angle. That's true. And that's why it wasn't just a sensationalized like, oh, this person comes in with super rare disease and they got to quarantine the whole ER and things, right. which I think I just talked. I think that was the entire like season finale of The Good Doctor. Yeah, I just told you about The Good Doctor. <laughs> One statement. Exactly. So, but it's it's that, but it's also what else could be done in the community and what things affect you guys on a daily basis. And it's just. It's, it's it's super interesting because, like I said, I see the 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 paper side. Of it. I see the billing side. I see what these hospitals and I've worked both in um, hospitals and I've worked on the insurance company mm-hmm. side. So I see it from that whole money angle, right? And and it's just weird being able to 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 boil down a patient in a case on our side to just numbers, right? When I know there's a human element to it. And you see the human element. I can sit here and talk about the numbers all day long. But <laughs> you see the human element that this person just needs to get treated. And one thing that we ended up talking about a little bit on the last episode was something I want to get into is social determinants of health. Ah, lovely. And we, I noticed it, and you write as well. I do. And you mentioned social determinants of health in your last article. Mm-hmm. And we'll, get it, we'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. But... For those of you who don't know, social determinants of health are the things that people and populations, and by populations I mean groups of people, are doing or living in condition, conditional wise mm-hmm. that affect 
their health that lead to how they're going to, what diseases and things that they run into throughout their life. Exactly. So, for instance, food deserts are a big one that I always bring up. Food deserts are places where there's not healthy, fresh food available in mass quantities to you. Um, so, so in the hood, yeah. So you can start there in the hood and in rural areas, yeah. which are both affected by the fact that you can't always get fresh produce, fresh meats, vegetables, and healthy options all the time. You see people end up with diseases like diabetes, heart disease, those those things that are attributed to not getting good quality food to you all the time. And it's not always, oh. I just choose to eat McDonald's every day. It's, it's like, what do you do when every corner that you look at, there is a takeout spot? But exactly. You find a grocery store that is reasonably priced with fruit or produce that has been delivered that day is several miles away from you. And exactly. these are folks who may not have cars, who may not, who use public transportation. And, and it becomes an added cost or something else that is another barrier to them. So, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, there's the social determinants. Heart, they kind of got their namesake because we were finding that the data would show these huge differences in different types of populations, and there was no clear explanation that mm-hmm. could be like drawn from one thing to the other. Like, why is this community more likely to have high blood pressure? Why is this communication, I mean, this particular community, uh, having more strokes than others or mm-hmm. having? Uh, more heart attacks than others. And then you realized quickly that there was a, a, a zip code related difference. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. look at the zip code, you look at the, the, the communities surrounding those, uh, the, where the, the bolus of those issues were, and you'd be like, all right, well, this is a, there's high crime rate here, or mm-hmm. there isn't, there's less schools per square mile here. There's mm-hmm. uh, an average salary below the poverty line in this area. The housing options are terrible in this area. The mm-hmm. food options are terrible in this area. So, of course, you're going to get to those right. types of diseases. Right. And that's the thing. And, and it used to be written off as, oh, this population, this set of people is more likely to have hypertension, mm-hmm. have strokes, to, th- to, to have those things because, because they're black, right. because they're Latino, because they're... Jewish, mm-hmm. they're, they're more likely to have this type of disease. No, not necessarily. It's not genetically built into them. That's the question. It's right. they don't have these types of options available. It's, it could be these other other things that determine that. Mm-hmm. And I think that is getting more determined one by big data, which is something that I harp on a lot. Right. Big data is something that I get interested in, and we are now getting those explanations by being able to trace. Right. Well. They're not going to Kroger. They're going to the corner store. Right. Which, the thing to buy at the corner store is you're going to get Arizona iced tea and I'm killing... And I'm grandma's, killing cookies. <laughs> grandma's cookies. Grandma's cookies. Grandma's cookies and flaming hot Cheetos. Man. Man. That is it. <laughs> and even if I got a little extra change, I'm going to get that big pickle. There you go. <laughs> big, salty <laughs> pickle. <laughs> yes, it's a vegetable, but it's right. all the yeah, I'm going to rinse it cookies. on down with the Arizona tea. Man. And, and it's not. <laughs> we don't know, man. Wow. And it's terrible. So, and then when you look at the, the types of schools that are in yeah. these areas, yeah. they're not really feeding you the greatest things in the world. No. You're getting French fries at lunch. You're not getting 
whole fruit and apples. <laughs> yeah, you're not. I mean, it's it's hard. Like I said, I could go layer upon layer with this about how schools are. are I mean, there's more policy now, work in progress mm-hmm. that is requiring schools who or people who are who qualify for the free meal. Free lunch programs, mm-hmm. they have certain requirements for these schools. Like meals have to have X amount of percent juice, mm-hmm. this type of uh, breakdown in terms of protein, carbohydrates. Like that's intuitive. But all of these things came as a result of the, the many uh, pioneers who put in work in studying these social determinants of health and health equity. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, the hardest part of it is breaking it down for average or everyday listener. Uh, because these are things that we we think about. You know? Explain to me the term that you just use, health equity. Okay, so so health equity. A lot of people have seen that uh, that little meme where it's three kids looking at a baseball game over a fence, mm-hmm. and there's a tall kid, there's a kid who's standing on a stool, there's a kid who's uh, standing on another stool, and the concern for equity is it would be equivalent, or not having equity would be the equivalent of giving every child the same step stool. Mm-hmm. If the child is still short and the step stool doesn't allow them to see over the edge, then it's not helpful. Yep. Whereas equity says give everyone what they need so that the the viewing point or the vantage point is even. So everyone is seeing over the edge of the fence at the same height. Okay. So that that's what equity really is. And for health equity, we talk about having uh, resources and the distrib- distribution of those resources in a way that gives everyone a fair chance to just be healthy and live a life. You know? There you go. So, I, I understand. And that takes more of an effort. When you're in the suburbs, there's a, like, I think back to where I grew up. There are, within walking distance, there's one grocery store. Within driving distance that is not outrageous, I want to say three mm-hmm. to five miles, there is three, three grocery stores. One of them being more of like catered four because there's a Whole Foods over there too now. That's more of a gourmet place. Yeah. There's four grocery stores. Yeah, and there's I'm, I'm making no secret. I grew up in the suburbs of Philly Fact. and literally went to the, to rival high school of Little Dicky. No. <laughs> at the same time he was there, I did not know him at all. I should ask one of my friends. You know Brownie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brownie and him were were at Cheltenham at the same time. So he. So, rival high school, Lil Dicky. Yeah, yeah. And so we would, we knew what was around us. Mm-hmm. But when I, I'm living, now I'm living in an area that is quote unquote gentrifying. Um, there's still not a grocery store close to here. It's annoying as shit. It's coming. But because there's been major investment in this area. And in Atlanta, I live with inside the, the what is called the Beltline, yeah. which is an area that they've earmarked. They just drew a circle around the middle of Atlanta. And so this is where we're going to pour dollars in and eventually make the property value high. Exactly. Uh, and force folks out. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, I don't want to say that. I just, no, no, no. It's, it's 100 so true because they actually just had a couple of lawsuits around, hey, we're supposed to be also building affordable housing over here. Right. Where the hell is it? So, so yeah. yeah. All right. And I think they're I not what I think they're gonna do is they're gonna put it all in the south side of the belt line. So where it is now. <laughs> all right, here's here's my thing. And and I, I'll say this again, is I also turn it it circles back into the conversation of health uh determinants or social uh determinants of health. Mm-hmm. There's this thing called uh, broken windows theory or broken glass theory. And what it says is communities where 
they, this is how they used to be able to tell the value of an area or mm-hmm. the fact that it wasn't somewhere that was desirable is if you walked around, so I mean, windows were broken. You know, hmm. If you literally could just see a bunch of windows that are in abandoned buildings or boarded up or cracked or whatever, it would give you the impression that the area wasn't uh, worth anything. And so there are several proxy measures of this. And I think the, the way that people are starting to now use it before it was used to determine all right, this is a place you don't want to live. Mm-hmm. Now they're using it as a place to invest. Mm-hmm. They're using it by flipping it on its head and saying, we're going to buy all of this property and then make it so high, so valuable that the yep. people who have indigenously been in this area can't afford to live there. Yep. The way this affects health is, like we know that when you talk about stressors of an environment, when you talk about these social determinants, all of these things drive negative health outcomes. And the economic aspect of it is now being factored in where you're having communities fully uprooted. And that's causing a downward spiral in mm-hmm. health issues as well. So uh, I say all that to say, like, these are issues that most people think about, yep. but should be relevant to the hip hop community because. By and large, the artists we listen to are coming from these environments, have oh, mothers yeah. that are in these environments and grandmothers that are in these environments. The, the places that we commune to, to hear this music, to actually appreciate the culture, are in these environments. Our barbershops are in these environments. Mm-hmm. Our, our hangout spots, nail salons are in these environments. Churches are in these environments. Mm-hmm. So if you all are coming to these places and, and enjoying what it provides you, uh, and not being wary of the health implications of that environment, then it's just as as dangerous. And some people get it. Um, Chance is definitely one that gets it. Because Chance is working in Chicago. He's working within his neighborhood to do that. And I love that. I love that he's he's working to to, to change those outcomes, to change those things. Um, and I wish more people would realize that. And I think one of the people who has realized that, and we'll shout him out on here yeah, yeah. with Trap Medicine. Oh, man, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> is Jamil. And I actually, when my job started talking, my job has, has, and has put a stake in the ground and said we're investing money mm-hmm. in helping to consult with social determinants of health. Lovely. We need to be in the forefront of this. If we understand it and can help people bridge the gap between community involvement and big business, because all of the, the, the hospitals and things are now understanding social determinants of health are necessary to get involved in. And so are the payers. So like one of the big examples, and I think I can talk, yeah, I can talk about this without getting shot. <laughs> Wellcare, who is a big, um, Pair, they're out of Florida, but have but pay for Medicare and Medicaid processing mm-hmm. in the state of Georgia, Florida, and a bunch of other places. One of the programs that they instituted in Georgia is that if you qualified for Medicaid yeah. and didn't have a GED, they would pay for you to get your GED. Mm-hmm. And that was wow. one of the things that they saw that if you had a GED. And we're eligible for more higher for higher paying jobs. Then you would cut the cost. They'd have someone else who could offset the cost of the healthcare. Exactly, because you can afford to go to a doctor right. instead of 
relying on an ER and going to, you can go to an urgent care versus going to an emergency room. And you can afford to go to your doctor's appointment if you're elderly to help your elderly family member versus them calling an ambulance or calling some other type of qualified dentist. It it was an amazing thing. And it it does two things. One, it actually helps people. And it helps them in a PR way where, hey, WellCare paid for my GED. Thank you. This looks awesome for me. And then another part of it is it helps their bottom line because they don't have to pay. They have a member that's not... These, these unnecessary costs or visits. They're exactly. only reimbursing for necessary things, and they're already rooted in. Yeah, yeah. I exactly. It's it's a it's a full frontal spectrum thing. Um, it was it was crazy. So I I enjoyed it, and and just looking at that, we were like, okay, well, where can we can where can we help mm-hmm. to now that you've put this program in place? Who do we need to talk to to get it out there? Right. And so that works with both like. Um, community leaders, mm-hmm. and then that's what brought my mind forward to talk about to think about trap medicine gotcha. because that is directly impacting into the con- and, and especially like the the, the barbershop things yeah. that trap medicine is doing. So Jamil, um, I I'll put his whole name out there. I guess Good. you can do that. Yeah, no, Jamil Lacey, mm-hmm. he has this program called Trap Medicine right. that is working to bring, um. To, to to really to get into the neighborhoods that are affected and the communities that are affected, black men, specifically a lot of black men, right? So and black people in general, black I can speak men. To it a little bit. On his Go behalf. for it. Uh, I've worked with Jamil. Yeah, I mean, this is this is my brother, but more particularly, like in the last few years, we've really been on the same wavelength as far as uh, trying to to take a more uh, grassroots approach mm-hmm. to to modifying health uh, in our communities. So. Trap medicine's goal, from what I understand, is is really to become like a, a an entity that's embedded within the community, owned by the communities that it sits in, mm-hmm. and it serves as kind of like a a multifaceted health resource center. Um, obviously, the cool part about it is that the people who put on these events come from those communities mm-hmm. and they equip barbers and uh, different workers with some of the resources so that they can kind of give that information to the clientele. So we realize, I mean, this is a, a theory that has been, not even a theory, this is a, a research model that has kind of like been championed by New England Journal of Medicine, which is the authority for almost every major finding in our world of uh, peer-reviewed literature, right, or evidence-based medicine. Barbershop interventions are extremely, extremely effective Mm -hmm. when you put people in a situation where they are comfortable, when they are around faces that look like them, and they're sharing health information, they tend to adhere to it. And, And I think that that's what uh, is often lost. Yeah. When you go into the doctor's office, the doctor usually don't look like you. The, <laughs> no. the people who are telling you don't take this, don't eat this, use these medications like this, they're not the same people. Uh, and so when you watch this information delivered by people who are of the community and the way that, you know, grandparents and parents and, you know, that 50-year-old guy who would never go get a prostate check, once he hears that multiple people in the room have gotten their prostate check, is now okay with going to the uh, doctor's office and getting that performed, 
it, it, it does wonders in terms of, um, you know, disease prevention, disease uh, awareness, or any mm-hmm. type of medical condition that plagues these communities. And especially since in Atlanta, I know we're spoiled. Mm-hmm. We're definitely spoiled because we have a good, a large concentration providers of providers come here. To, yeah, they'll come here. They want to come here. Yeah, and especially black providers, since Atlanta is this black mecca yeah. city. I I have a black doctor. He went. He's went to Morehouse. I forget where he did. I think I forget where he did his his residency and everything. But he's. Went to Morehouse. The point is that he is a black doctor. He's a black doctor. But you don't have to say much else to me. It doesn't matter if this dude went to school in Idaho. He's a black doctor, and he's come here. What do you say about Little Rock? What do you say about, you know, these places like, you know, damn Baton Rouge? What about, you know, South Carolina? Like, places you're just not going to be there. And and it's, it's nuts that we... It, there's not more. Yeah. But... It's, it's a reality, a reality. and it's something we had to deal with. And then, especially added on top of that, the, the fact, fact that black people are suspicious of doctors. Oh, mistrust that exists. In mistrust medicine. between the, yeah, yeah. the medicine and government. Right. <laughs> it really is a huge mistrust. And the biggest black population, I don't know if this is still true, I think it is. Mm-hmm. The biggest population that does not go to the doctor, right. black men. So, to give you some more perspective on that, like obviously, black men. Are uh, as you said, we are among the most what they would describe as non-adherent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's layers to that. It's not just we don't adhere because you tell someone we choose to not want to do it. But if there's mistrust that exists, and we have uh, several several examples of this mistrust, we're just not stupid. Yeah, you know. So <laughs> I would say that. But the the groups that are starting to overwhelm. Uh, or, or overcome black men as a group that doesn't go are undocumented citizens. So I can believe that, yeah. People because who there's... come from other countries who are afraid to disclose whether they are actual citizens or not, yeah. they never go to the hospital unless it's an absolute emergency. Yeah. I mean, and, and look at, and this, this administration is not helping. No, no. Today is the day that they were supposed to be doing all those ICE raids in well, major cities, including Atlanta. Right. And I just, that worries the crap out of me. And it's going to make people even more scared to the point where. Something treatable, yeah. they're going to sit on yeah. and pour herbs and yeah. and and tonics right. and whiskey on until right. it's actually like, oh, well, we could have saved your li- your your limb, your limb, your 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 and now your leg is gone, right. which makes you more of a burden on the health system. Right. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. So, um, something that goes along with that. Um, uh, so, talking about um, that mistrust. I think we want to be able to tell people what is good for them. What is the, what piece of advice would you give to? I'm gonna give you three groups: to men, to women, to black people. Like just in your experience across whatever, because I and we understand that you're um, more partial to, to advice you would give because you were in the ER. You see these cases up front, um, and it could be trauma and anything else. What advice would you give to men? What advice would you give to women, and what would you advice you give to to black people, health wise, across any piece of it? What would you What would you give? Okay, so uh, first advice I give to men, and this is just men in general, uh, is stop with the whole superhero complex. Like men are not invincible. We have many health illness. I mean, health ailments that we will go for. <laughs> days on end ignoring mm-hmm. until it's too late. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had patients that come in have had a heart attack three days ago. 
or three days prior. And you were like, well, why didn't you come in then? I was like, oh, I didn't think anything of it. And you're like, dude, you were in extreme chest pain. You're sweating. Like, you had a heart attack. Yeah. And you knew it. You felt something different. And so you have to listen to your body and really be, uh, have the presence of mind to come in despite how it may make you feel or how you think it makes you look or how you feel that people will perceive you. Mm-hmm. So that's my advice to men. Like, stop with the whole superhero con, uh, mentality uh, complex and just go to the hospital. For I also like to call that the, the robotessing complex. Does, does it solve everything? It doesn't. It doesn't. We just talked about in. this. We actually talked about this last right. episode because one of the people we had on was her, her dad was the, the supplement right. herbal guy. Where you take, take four echinacea uh, yeah. and two, two garlic, garlic pills, okay. and you be all right in the morning. Yeah, okay. Not a pneumonia on the earth. It's solved <laughs> by that. So, whatever. All right, but that was my recommendation for okay. guys. For, for women, my main thing is uh, I love that women go to the hospital more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that it's now in your court to take it a step further. Like, ask questions, demand things from your physicians. You know, if you don't think that the answer has been given to you, if you don't think that you've been provided with the information that you need, don't leave. Yeah. Do not leave the office. And, and that's because I think that on average, um, most patients that I've had that are women uh, will follow. I mean, if the providers are men, sometimes they will talk from a position of of, uh, of power or from a place where there is an information differential. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking specifically about older women. Yeah. Like if I am a doctor and I'm talking to this older woman and using words that are over her head, and she may end up saying, okay, I trust the doctor and just leave. But if you don't understand everything, if you're not getting all the pieces of information and it doesn't make sense to you, don't leave the office. Mm-hmm. Happens also with pregnant women. Mm-hmm. A lot of times pregnant women will be like, oh, I have pelvic pain. And then the doctor will be like, oh, it's just your baby, you know, it's round ligament pain or something like that. If you're still in pain and it's not working out, do not leave the office or do not leave the emergency department until you get those answers. Mm-hmm. So I know it might take more time. I know it may uh, make some people frustrated, especially physicians or loved ones or staff. That's their problem. What your job is is to take care of your body and take care of the, uh, the potential bodies that are also growing with inside of you. So that's my recommendation for women. Do not let people mishandle you via the education or information differential. Mm-hmm. No? Now, for, for black people in terms of, you know, like what my best advice would be, man, I, I got so many different things. Uh, my best medical advice is we, got, we have to stop saying that hospitals aren't for us. We have to stop that. Um, and I think that this is sort of an uncomfortable topic because, as we said, there's medical mistrust that has been pervasive. And for years, it has been the reasons why we have gone undiagnosed, why we've had mm-hmm. cancers that have, man- uh, have been metastatic, why we've had, you know, so many missed uh, abortions, so many maternal complications. It's because we felt that hospitals aren't for us Mm -hmm. and i think that some of that has to be a mindset shift like we have to make these hospitals for us we have to make the medical system flex and bend 
to the fact that we are a, a population that is bearing the major disease burden in America. Yeah. If you go down every one of the top causes of death, and even if you get more granular, black people are among the top. So because of that, if we're not getting recognized nationally via policy, we have to make our presence felt. And that starts by increasing the number of total visits, increasing our education around what illnesses exist and how to really navigate a medical interaction. Yep. Like those are the things that I really just hope that we tackle as a culture, uh, and it's making it more acceptable uh, within you know our our common interactions. When I talk to you about health, or when you know a friend, two two two, or a group of women get up at brunch and they discuss health things, or guys are in a barber shop kicking it talking about LeBron and AD, and then they talk about health stuff like that. Destigmatizing of the process has to happen at a much higher volume and at a faster rate for us to start to really get our footprints in the medical system. I agree. And the thing is, and I think that mistrust is what leads to one of the things that drives me nuts in a major way about the our community yeah. is the anti-vaxxer. Like <laughs> the anti-vaxxers within, and I actually, unfortunately, got into an argument with one of my cousins this week or two weeks ago about I'm not going to vaccinate my kids. Like, no, <laughs> and that that our medical mistrust. Yes, you that you have points in history you can look at, but when you get to the things that that drive me nuts, is like. That anti-vaxxer movement is so extremely vital to what tears us down, and then now that it's becoming more of a rolling thing, you're in New York. You're you you are there with where they just passed the law to take out the religious exception for vaccinations because of is it measles? I think has popped up. Let me tell y'all. Like, (laughs) look, man. I mean. People don't understand until you're actually on the ground. Like mm-hmm. when you were there, screening people for measles and seeing the type of destruction that it actually can do. So in my hospital, we didn't have a measles. I think we may have had one measles case, but the pro the, the, the issue is that it uprooted our entire system of delivering ER care. Like you go from one day. Uh, everybody can just walk into the ER into the next day where it's like, yo, there is a straight up, what's the name of that movie? Like quarantine style outbreak. tent. Outbreak yeah. style tent in front of the emergency department. I'm talking about for the last six months, my normal route of going into the emergency department has been disrupted because they've been worried about possible measles cases. I've watched a woman who had symptoms of measles. I've had to do measles cases on people, like collection kits where we sent like it's an entire different process i've sent a baby and her mom up to uh the icu in a bubble like literally in a bubble i I can't even i'm gonna pull up a picture when i can but i'm gonna show you what i mean when i say a bubble and it's all because you have people who refuse to to understand like yes your rights matter but this is a child yeah. This is a child. The child doesn't have the knowledge or and can't make this decision. And you're putting the child in harm's way. You know? And built off of 
crap studies. Like, that's the thing that drives me nuts. Now, they just had two cases in Malaysia mm-hmm. where two kids died from a, it was an MMR vaccine. Oh, that's crazy. And they gave it to one kid. Now, and this is all, I read the reports, mm-hmm. and I'm not still not 100% sure they're all correct. Because it was like one kid died three minutes after, and one kid died one minute after. And then the big trouble was the nurse who gave the second kid the vaccine did so against the will of the parents. Which is absolutely nuts. But also, this is Malaysia. And I mean, I understand why she did, but that's still crazy. You can't do that. You can't do that. But... And, and I understand freedom of choice, and I understand all that. But you can get these like there's there's and correct me if I'm wrong. There's um and you, if you don't know this because you've been ER versus mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. pediatric care, um there's different. You can have it spaced out if you want to. Say give one vaccine here. Let's wait a couple months. Give a second vaccine. Wait a couple months. Give a third vaccine. Fourth vaccine. So it's whatever. on the schedule. Yeah, it's on the schedule. But and you can space that schedule out further if you would like to. Um, from my understanding, but good. What the? F- yes. I don't even know. That looks like out of a out of a yeah. space movie. Sorry, I'm showing so, you know, this bubble. <laughs> this is it, the bubble. It's to keep the people inside from contaminating everything else. So you would transport the baby or a patient in that to their bed, and they would remain in that until something had come out. And imagine being yeah. a patient right in that. That's got to be the scariest thing in the world. Like, on top of being scared, because, I mean, in a hospital, it's, it's obviously a stressful situation. You're in there because you don't feel well or somebody you are with does not feel well. Now climb into this bubble. Now climb into this bubble because we think we got some, you got something. What is that looking, what is that looking at for you? Like, you got something that's going to affect everybody? As I said, I've, I have very strong opinions about it because I've watched it uproot the way that we deliver care i've watched places like new york is is a is a beast all its own when it comes to dealing with communicable diseases or Mm -hmm. diseases that have a potential virility you know like because it's so dense yeah like there's very few places in the world that are more densely populated than new york city yeah like it's it's obvious like yes there's like okay there's a ton of people in florida but they're spaced out more but there are people on top of people there's there's like very few places there's like China and parts of China, parts of Korea, parts of I don't know Brazil or something that people are that densely. There's people living on top of people, and when you have people that close proximity, if you have a disease, it spreads like wildfire. It spreads in a snap. Yeah, and when you have that, it's got to affect. Now that you have to take all those other precautions, what does that take away from the the person who has something? Less of, I, I slipped, I broke my leg. Takes longer to treat because you've got to deal with forty other obligations. Brother, as I said, this has been <laughs> like the last six to eight months of my life, and I feel like I, I can't even start to think about the cases that may have been affected because of the scare of measles, like just general care that, you know, all the resources that have to be uh, diverted to mm-hmm. one case. You know, it's, because of, because so, of all of this. I, I, I'm going to leave it at that. But I'm just saying, yeah. like, it is, in, it is very imperative that parents parent with that in mind. Like, yeah. 
Yes, your your decision matters, your personal views matter, but this is a child. This is a child, and we're just trying to keep this child alive. Yeah. So I want to pivot for a moment because I want to, I don't want you to, to leave out of here without talking about two two things, cool. and that's one the last article you wrote because yeah, yeah. you do you have wrote in a succession of yeah. different articles and things yeah. that have been op eds and and, and just articles that's submitted on, on online to very good resources. This last one was by the Root, um, posted hosted by the Root, and then the other thing I want you to talk about is uh, the role of HBCUs in uh, which they tie together, but mm-hmm. the role of HBCUs in medicine and healthcare and black doctors and black people in the medical field. Um, One thing I want to do bring up with alongside your article, um, this uh, two weeks ago, uh, United Healthcare Mm -hmm. gave $8 million (laughs) to the Atlanta University Center Consortium, which is Morehouse Clark and Spelman College uh, for the advancement of programs around Data science mm-hmm. in healthcare, and so, so that, that made my nipples perk yeah, yeah. <laughs> That made me happy because I work in data science now, and I'm actually trying to further myself in education in data science around specifically healthcare. So I was like, "How do I get in on this? How do I get in, into that?" But let's start with talking about what your last article was about, and it centered around your alma mater, where you went from med school, Meharry. Yeah, man. So, so basically, I, I wrote an article. Also, about, just to include your yeah. undergrads at Morehouse College. What? Morehouse Shout College. Out to Morehouse. This is just uh, proliferate through this podcast. That, Come on, guys. I wouldn't have a Mahari <laughs> if it wasn't for a Morehouse. There you go. So, uh, no, but the the article is a it's an exploration, a very deep analysis of this partnership that was formed by my alma mater and um, Jewel. So, Jewel is an e-cigarette company. It's the largest mm-hmm. e-cigarette uh, company in the world, and Earlier this year, it was bought out by Altria. Now, mm-hmm. Altria is the parent company to Philip Morris. Mm-hmm. Philip Morris, we know uh, as the leading tobacco company in the world for many, many years. Yep. Now, to be very clear, I have to state this. There is no evidence right now that e-cigarettes lead to lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the natural conclusion people make. They hear cigarettes or e-cigarettes, and they think that that's oh, lung cancer bad. The point that I was making was that in my article, I explore that this relationship draws our product of uh, research. It, it puts it into question, like the integrity of it. So the school accepted $7.5 million from Jewel uh, mm-hmm. as a donation. And the donation is to be used to create a center for social determinants of health. Okay. Um, What that is, is you're going to have either a brick and mortar location Mm -hmm. and all the work from that location is dedicated to advancing uh, research around causes Mm -hmm. of uh, major illness and seeing if there's a social determinants overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hard part of this for most people is like you got a medical school accepting money from an e-cigarette company. Mm -hmm. And... When you, it, looks when, a little it, looks, it looks shady to see yeah. like you know a, a medical institution or a research citadel like Meharry getting in bed with the purveyors of e-cigarettes. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it looks straight up looks like where they were paying like yeah. Philip Morris right. was paying people to say cigarettes were okay. Right, right. Was paying people to do research to back up that cigarettes didn't cause which is cancer. right. So, so the natural belief is that. 
the the the, the way that Jewel markets their products mm-hmm. is as a harm reduction option. Yeah. So you want to not be exposed to the carcinogens in cigarettes, yep. come to the vaping world. Yeah. Come over to us because we're less harmful than cigarettes and you still get your nicotine. And, you, right? and it tastes better. And it tastes better. I will and say, it's and allowed in more places. <laughs> Until recently. Right. Because two big laws just passed. One in San Francisco mm-hmm. where they banned pretty, pretty much right. vaping altogether. Right. In Atlanta where they banned it mostly in all public places. I'm going to speak to that in a second. Yeah, so, and, and I say this, I'm up on this, and mom, I'm sorry. I'm a former vaper. I quit four or five months ago. Okay, good. And that was partially because of it's cold as hell in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't going outside anymore. Plus, I've been stepping down anyway because I was like, this is stupid. I don't need to be doing yeah. this. It's not yeah, helping yeah. my health. So, so as a former vapor, and I, but I still pay attention to the news okay. of what's going on with it because right, right. I offered it as a yeah. option because my dad smoked for many years. Gotcha. He quit when he became a deacon, and he quit cold turkey. Oh, that's awesome. And exactly. exactly. And I was like, and he, he started smoking in college in the 60s right. when it was like, oh, smoking is just a thing. Yeah. It damn near was healthy. Right. And he smoked up until he's quit, I want to say four or five years ago. And completely cold turkey and I'm not stopped. Doesn't take. Uh, it takes a lot of heart to do that. So yeah. I, I respect him for that. I mean, I, my point about vaping is, so we see we're seeing an unprecedented uptick in vaping among yeah. young people, yes. and for there to not be clear research or established connections between vaping and what other medical issues are caused, mm-hmm. but there be a very clear understanding of what nicotine addiction does, and also a very clear understanding of what any type of heated or vaporized liquid something does to the lungs, like mm-hmm. it's, it's enough to make you raise an eyebrow, which is why these places are saying, hey, we don't know what this does, and we would prefer to regulate it, or we mm-hmm. prefer to make some policy around its distribution or its prevalence inside of spaces with other people who may not choose to vape. Now, my concern with, with Meharry was not that this is... Uh, an area that's uncharted because naturally we should be on the forefront of any type of research, especially research that can affect uh, people of color because that's what Meharry was built around is, you know, trying to create a healthcare uh, infrastructure that supports minorities. Mm-hmm. So with that said, like I expect us to be at the forefront of these types of research uh, endeavors. The problem is when you talk about taking money, like what is that money come like what are the strings that are attached to this these these dollars yep and how does this somehow affect the brand of the school or the brand of hbcus are you giving these companies these corporations the right to use us in terms of uh you know making them seem cooler making them seem more legitimate making them seem like the healthier option like that was my biggest issue is so when you make these decisions you have to look at the optics you have to be very clear with the stakeholders about what can and can't be uh like bundled into this type of a gift uh and i just i want to be very clear in stating like yo hbcus struggle 
Mm-hmm. And people underplay how much we struggle. Every year, you're writing checks. I'm writing checks yep. to try to help our institutions. Uh, and those no checks, no matter how much we write, unless our name is Robert, you know, <laughs> Smith, you know, if we're not if we're not him, we can write a check, and it's never going to equal up to seven and a half million dollars. Yeah. So when seven and a half million dollars are dangled in front of your face, and you have the option of repurposing that money, mm-hmm. how, is it wrong to take it? Are we in a position to say no? We don't want it. It's tough. Like when we operate with the margins we do, every year you hear about a HBCU that is this close to um, shutting down, right? this close to losing accreditation over some financial thing because it's not the academics. Mm-hmm. Morris Brown didn't lose this accreditation off academics; no. it lost it because of money and greed. Right, and they're but they're building back. They're they're and and having to do that, but it becomes harder and harder and harder. When you see all those, uh, those types of these institutions that we love that have given so much to us, right. that we're having, it's hard to turn down a seven million dollar check. I I can't be mad at the school for turning it down. And there's and there's and there's really only one institution, one or two institutions that are in that position that could say that, and that's probably Spelman and. Mm-hmm. Hampton, maybe? Howard sometimes. Howard I mean, sometimes. Hampton, even though... I'm going to uh, just say this, and I, and I know that it's kind of like not the right tone to say it in, but I don't, I don't think it's wrong to take that type of a deal. You just have to... You have to fortify it with accountability. And you have to really create a broad understanding among the people involved in that kind of a, a deal that there will be no impact on the research, that their hands are not going to touch it. And once you get that cleared away, it's like, hey, I mean, we're going to come out with research. The research may end up saying that your product is extremely harmful. And as long as you're okay with that, that we're going to be the ones to hit you with the R.S. Starks knife at the end. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Give me the money. There you go. I'm going to hit you with the R.S. Starks shiv, and then, you know, you're done. So that's how I viewed it. Yeah. So that's um, that's a, it's a great take, and we have to see what comes out of it because I think you set up your the way you put your article, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Is that it's definitely something that you we that ha, Meharry has to safeguard itself from. So the ball is in their court. The ball is entirely in their court. Well, I say it's our court because as an yeah. alum, you know, I take yeah. pride in being able to be on the. Uh, to be involved in some element of these decisions, I may not be may not have been there when this conversation happened, mm-hmm. but I can damn sure make sure that what comes from this uh, is literally like thin sliced <laughs> by Meharian so that it doesn't have an element that uh, jeopardizes our integrity. And I think as H, I think HBCU alumni have the really interesting support case that we are so invested in our institutions we love our institutions at a different level than I think a lot of other institutions and people who go to other institutions do that it really affects us and we have that care and that care is there and you saw that in like 
when yeah. Morehouse was having was was having issues with its president and things like that, mm-hmm. you, you saw, saw alumni like Spike and Sam step up and say, "We need to figure this out. Right. We need to figure this out in house." <laughs> yeah. So all right. So yeah, I know you got to go. Yeah, I appreciate man. you coming oh, through. Man, Anytime, bro. bro I'll run anytime you're in Atlanta, anytime I'm around with this microphone, oh, we can get it in. It's gonna happen. Well, next time we we'll talk about this Lil Uzi Vert article, man. I'm gonna, send, I'm gonna send it to you. Please do. Please do. I try to stay up on them, but, but you be putting them out. Man. I do. I do. I just put out an article about hypertension. I said that it's uh, the Kawhi Leonard of chronic illnesses. So I, I love it, man. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Virtual Donuts. It's been amazing. We're right under two hours, so I think that's exactly where I want to be. Thank you guys for listening. If you have, if you want to reach you on social media, yeah, man. Great Vision. Gr number eight Vision. All and, together. And then I will put that in the show notes so y'all can contact me. I'm at PJ Alex. We're at Virtual Dopeness on Twitter, Facebook, everything you can think of, SoundCloud. Thank you guys for listening. And like I say every week, be virtual and live virtual.